The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 11. We uh, make the climb into uh, double digits. You know, if you listen to this show on a weekly basis, this is your best place for cigar talk as well as Chicago sports talk. And obviously, we talk beyond Chicago, and we're going to go beyond Chicago tonight. So let me set the scene for you. Uh, We are at 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois at The Place Cigar Lounge. Please come visit with us at the place anytime you want. It is a fantastic place. You can sit, you can smoke a cigar, you can enjoy yourself. It's a really fantastic thing. And as I always do as well, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. That is at Cigars and Sports. There's no excuse. Please follow us. And you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast, you can get this thing. And obviously you've gotten it from somewhere because you're actually listening to it. So that makes sense. So let's go to our guy, Phil. Phil Sullivan, how are you doing tonight? What's going on? What are you smoking? How's life? Oh, life is great. Great week. Uh, it's a good week and a sad week. What I think is one of the better NFL seasons uh, this year to watch for the volume of fantastic games. So looking forward to the Super Bowl. Sad to see it end. But uh should be a great, great week. Smoking a LaGuardia Cubana this evening. Nice medium blend cigar. Uh, kind of a go-to and a great price range for most people. So, uh, nice you know, one smoke. thing I want to say is that everything seems to be a go-to to you. I just wanted to point that out. But speaking of go-tos, I am smoking a La Florida Dominicana El Jaco Perfecto number two natural. Love it as always. You know, I was thinking about the Oliva Series G box press medium body, but you know, decided to uh, to move away from that for tonight. And Phil, also, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your uh, day of watching the Olympics all day to watch this, because I know you are completely fixated on the Olympics, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Phil is not fixated on the Olympics. He thinks it's a joke. Yeah, my uh, two minutes of viewing might increase to three. I'm not sure. I have to see what's coming out. I always like watching a little bit of the opening ceremonies, but not much else. We'll talk about that. So we're going to start with our cigar segment tonight, and we have some fantastic guests for you. Um, We are interviewing Karen Berger, who is the president and CEO of Don Kiki Cigars in Daytona Beach, Florida. We are once again uh, stretching out across the country and vice president of Don Kiki Cigars, vice president of sales, Bruce Bush. So I would like to welcome you guys to the show. Karen, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Great. We're happy to have you. And uh, Bruce, thanks uh, for you coming. No pleasure, man. Pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot, man. Good. We're nice to meet you. Yeah, guys. we're looking. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to you. So, um, Karen, tell us everything that you would like to tell us about Don Kiki Cigars. You know, I've checked you guys out on social media. I have a friend in South Florida in the cigar business who told me about you. I uh, know you're in uh, in Daytona and you've got a couple of different businesses related to cigars, including a store and uh, some other things you do. So just tell us about your business. 
and thank you for having us have a good night and it's a pleasure to be here with you guys yes um i am Kannenberger, so we are um owner of the k by Kannenberger and don kiki cigar so we are a boutique uh, brand so we have the factory and farm in nicaragua we're growing with own tobacco we are in the market for more than 20 years 2016 is the time that we introduced uh, the new line, the K by Karenberger. We have been working before only with Don Kiki Cigar. So right now, um, we are really happy with all the work that the team of the K by Karenberger with Bruce, we are doing right now in the business. So we are around the 25 states. Uh, we had our, a retail store here in Daytona Beach. As well, we work with the, our products. Um, working with uh, the production in all brands as well we made some private labor for other companies in Esteli, Nicaragua. Wow. Uh, Bruce, tell us a little bit about your role with Don Kiki Cigars and K by Karen Berger, which by the way is one of the greatest names that I have ever heard. That is a, that is a solid name. Go th- tell us about I'm what you do. Like <laughs> I agree too. I think K by Karen Berger is a wonderful name. It's very, it's very efficient and travels well because we could just add underneath it the style cigar came by Karen Berger, Maduro, Connecticut, Cameroon. It's beautiful. So I, I run the wholesale division. Um, I track where our cigars are in the United States. I go to new markets. I try and open up new accounts. I help Karen with social media shows like this and whatnot. And just basically in control of all marketing and all sales for the company. I try to keep things going. I, after we have the accounts opened up, we visit, I visit. Brian Diggins, our national sales director, visits Karen. We visit stores, and we try to make people happy, man. We try to bring what I believe are some of the best cigars on earth. I've been saying the best cigars on earth, and I've been getting some flack for that because people think I'm a little bit too much, you know, egocentric when I say that. So I'll say some of the best cigars on earth. But I think our cigars compete with anything in the world. And uh, right now I'm smoking the K by Karen Berger Maduro, and this is as beautiful of a cigar as you'll ever as you'll ever toke on in your entire life well i will definitely uh be getting some after this show certainly for all i for all of our guests i uh what's selling right now you're the you're the sales guy bruce so you know what's hot what's selling you know what's uh you know what's going on in the market so our came by camera connecticut which i believe to be just about the best connecticut in the business got a 93 rating in cigar journal back in the middle of last year uh, right around the same time, Karen won uh, Tobacco Businesswoman of the Year. So our K by Karen Burger Connecticut's taken off. If you like a good Connecticut, it's phenomenal. It's medium body. You're going to get nut. You're going to get graham cracker. You're going to get vanilla. It's a beautiful cigar. Um, our Habano sells well. And then this Maduro sells extraordinarily well also. Very great cigar. Competes with the Padron 26. I know that's high praise and all that. But, I mean, it really is right up there with it. So they, they sell really well, and our Donkey Platinum sells well. And last year, at the PCA, we released the K by Karen Burger Cameroon, and our plans were to do it in a small batch, but people are just demanding it everywhere we go. And we're making it part of our full-time ensemble from this point forward. As I mentioned when I uh, in- introduced you guys, Don Kiki Cigar, as well as K by Karen Berger, uh, you guys are, are based out of Daytona. And I know, Karen, you're uh, actually in Daytona now. And Bruce, I believe that you're a uh, soon-to-be-suffering Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan in Tampa. So 
Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna Jealousy will get you nowhere, Bears fan. We're gonna have you out. Yeah, it's a good point. You'll get an opportunity to, to rip us on that a little bit later. So we appreciate it. Um, <laughs> we're used to it though. We're we're a lot tougher than you guys are. So, so you handle the uh, Bruce. You handle obviously the wholesale accounts, and you guys I know have a store in Daytona. So, um, Karen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the store? You know, what what makes it different? Why is it good? I was you know took a look at it online and on social media. Looks like a pretty fun place to hang out and smoke a cigar. Yes, it's a nice place. So we are the biggest in Volusia County. So it's seven thousand square feet as a walking humidor. Uh, we carry around 3,000 different faces uh, as or brand of course which is the best seller and we try to support another boutique cigar brand so uh, we carry uh, a little of everything here so um, we are in front of the ocean so if you go to the second floor we, where we have full table domino table uh, the TV and everything you have a beautiful view from the ocean so we had a as well a natural humidification here because we are in front of the ocean um, is a walking humidor so it is a nice place is we are very seasonal a uh, town we have uh, NASCAR races uh, we had a uh, October fest October week which is coming now in March is 10 day uh, that we had received people around the world who are in love with a uh, ride motorcycle as well. We had uh, an October by Toberfest. Uh, um, nice so, Karen, let me ask you a question. Who are better cigar smokers, bikers or NASCAR fans? Uh, you know, I think uh, riders. Yes. Yes. That that is an excellent question by you, Phil. I am a huge NASCAR fan. It is my guilty pleasure of sports, and I never talk NASCAR with anybody who's not interested in being talked to it about. Because on NASCAR, you're either in or out. So I've never mentioned it to Phil. By the way, for those of you who are NASCAR fans, we had the clash at the LA Coliseum on Sunday, which I thought was a really interesting new event. Yes, Bruce, I can see you looking with puzzlement as a non-NASCAR fan. NASCAR. Can you? Is it written all over my face? Yes, NASCAR converted the LA Coliseum into a track and ran a race there this last Sunday, a 0.25 mile short track. It was amazing. They drew 80,000 people. It was was really cool. But next week in Daytona, for those of you not familiar with Daytona, is Speed Weeks, which is um, really the biggest tourist week of the year Um, in Daytona. Next Sunday is the uh, Daytona 500, a week from Sunday. Um, So tell us about what goes on during Speed Weeks. Do you got any good, uh, you know, Daytona 500 fan uh, stories for us, Karen? Do you have some some crazy drunks go in there? What kind of fans do you get uh, coming in there during Speed Weeks? You know, it's a different level. So uh, living here, the store has nine years here in Daytona. So living here, I see, of course, is um, because the, the races, there's a lot of people coming. But I had the opportunity until last year to be in a race. I think that was the 500. For me, it was an amazing experience. I don't understand nothing about the sport, but I fell in love with the, all the adrenaline. Oh my God, I fell in love. See, I was in a VIP area to be all the cars. The, the, oh my God, the fast that is uh, the race. Oh my God, I fell in love with that experience. It's another different level. So and now I understand that everybody has different passions. So the people who usually love races and everything is... um. 
is a like help of people that go to the, the races and also they like to spend a lot of money in cigars. So um, we're, we we had a lot of people coming um, from the different races to, to visit us here in the stores. Yeah, well, one of the great things about NASCAR as a sport is that there is no other sport where you see every team in the league on the same field every week. So it makes it really exciting. Um, I am, by the way, a Kurt Busch uh, monster Toyota fan. So I just had to get that in. Bruce, let me ask you a question about the cigar business. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been hearing from people in the cigar industry on this show and just, you know, in general is that the pandemic for whatever reason made business better. Um, you know, based on your experience over the years in the cigar business, what have you guys seen during the pandemic? You know, has it been better or worse? And why do you think that is? Well, it's, I think it's definitely been better. I mean, I could speak, I'm sure other people say this from personal experience. My cigar smoking went from like, you know, seven cigars a week to about 20 cigars a week. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my garage working on my laptop, kind of like I'm doing right now. I smoked more cigars. So a lot of places, I'm sure around the country, turn into speakeasies where, like, you know, you went through the back door of your local lounge to get cigars because the front door was closed. So the sales of them still was was a steady pump, you know, and if, if not superior to what it had been in the past. And um, also I think kind of like people had to smoke them if you got them kind of mentality, you know I mean? Like, you know what, if this is if this is the apocalypse and it comes by way of a little bug, let's just go ahead and go out of this world smoking and drinking and doing what we love. So I think those two ideas, hand in hand, really set forth a boom in the industry, and we kind of rode that wave a little bit. I mean, we were kind of small when I came on a couple of years ago, and, and for various different reasons, that being one of them, we rode that wave. You know, we've, we've sold our cigars, and we've filled a lot of niches that were out there. So it's been prosperous, and... And I, I hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't have that much of a dip in the next couple of years, you know? Yeah, it's great to hear. I mentioned previously that uh, the first I saw of you, Karen, was in a TikTok video. And it appears you guys have done a pretty good job in social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Tell us a little bit about the role of social media in, in your business. And Bruce, you said you get involved with that as well. So I'll sort of throw this out to both of you guys. Um, clearly, um, and by the way, we can see our guests and clearly Karen is the face of the operation. Um, but tell us, you know, a little bit about, uh, how social media has impacted your business and what your strategy is there. Uh, I think that if you use, uh, your social media properly, um, open a lot of doors for all, for us, for, for us as a company, uh, I think that helped us a lot. So I had people that who are contact us through the social media. We opened the, uh, two years ago with the Israel market. They contact me through the social media. So we have Dubai. We opened the um, market in Dubai last year. Um, what as well was by the social media. For us as a small boutique cigar, I think that has been amazing for us that give you the opportunity to open a new business. Social media is great because you know, every industry is everywhere at the same time, you know, so we've capitalized on that and it kind of helps that Karen is outstanding at making social videos and, and whatnot and posting TikToks and all that. And wherever we go, I mean, when, we're, when Karen and I are on the road together, she's got that phone like right here. And as I'm talking to clients, she's, she's rocking out a TikTok or an Instagram reel or something like that. So 
we're always on top of it. Social media, you get out what you put in, you know, and we put in, we put in the work on social media. So we've been the beneficiaries of it. Since we're on the topic of social media, please tell everybody where they can find you guys, whether it be on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. And I assume that Karen's accounts are, it's sort of one in the same with the business. I, I assume that anyway, but maybe could you run through where we, where we could reach you on uh, social media? We uh, are uh, as a Facebook, the Geeky Cigar Superstore. Uh, as well, K by Karen Berger and Karen Berger. We have three different pages. Uh, the Karen Berger I use as a personal as well as a business. K by Karen Berger as a brand and Don Kiki Cigar uh, Superstore uh, for the the store. Instagram we are in the K by Karen Berger as a brand as well. Don Kiki Cigar Superstore. All right. And um, let me chime in. I also want to invite everyone out there to join our group on Facebook, which is K's Kingdom, Friends of Karen Berger. So you can also go to that group, K's Kingdom, Friends of Karen Berger, and jo- request to join. I'll approve it, and we'll bring you on. You can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the uh, Karen Berger Don Kiki world. That's great. Um I have another question that I ask all of our guests, and it's interesting, um, Karen, particularly for you, we always like to talk about underrepresented groups in the cigar uh, community and sort of what type of opportunities there are, you know, just in terms of market share. And you don't see a ton of women smoking cigars, particularly where we are in the Midwest. I actually do believe that in Florida, you, you, you know, all over in Florida, you do see a lot more women smoking cigars. But tell us about women in cigars, and is that a is that a market opportunity? Um, do you see that growing? You know, you obviously love cigars. Tell us a little bit about your take uh, on women. In you cigars. know, this is a um, male industry. It's a really good. Uh, it's an industry male uh, go, uh, dominated by males, right? But women in the industry has been uh, uh, working a really important uh, role, you know. Uh, many people know that in all the cigar factory, um, almost 30, 75% or 80%, the people who are in the factory are women working in the production and the packing area, in, uh, as well in the, in, the, in the crop, growing tobacco, you know. Uh, right now, you can see in the social media more women smoking cigar, but this is uh, not for the now. It's, I think that we have more presentation. We, there are more women smoking cigar, but as well as a manufacturer. So I have a lot of women that also are, are they have a, a, her own brands, Flor uh, de Gonzalez, Jali uh, Gonzalez, Maya Selva Cigar. So me, um, as a woman, I think that uh, we have some representation, but oh, uh, we are talking uh, before social media has been wor- working a really good pace that promote more women cigars. And you do your own manufacturing, is that correct? Yes, I had the fa- we have the factory in the farm in Nicaragua, yes. Oh, great. How often do you get down there? Usually... Uh, 
since all this COVID uh, situation, I usually uh, go over there uh, one time per month. But right now, it's only one um, airline traveling to Nicaragua, and it's really hard to get the COVID test or come back to United States because it's only one place in the capital in Managua that made that kind of test. So it's really difficult uh, to travel. But at least I try to be there at least one time per month. That's very that's very interesting. Um, Okay, so we really have enjoyed having you guys on. Again, uh, you are listening to Karen Berger and Bruce Bush of Don Kiki Cigars and K by Karen Berger. We would strongly suggest to you that uh, follow them on social media. You can certainly, as I've been sitting here playing around, if you go to uh, K by Karen Berger, really on any social media platform, you'll find these guys, particularly on, you know, on Instagram. And I would recommend that you do so. Any other way that you want people to get in touch with you? Any other message that you want out there? Yes. Um, so we are focusing to maintain the quality control in our products. So as a boutique cigar, so I think that we have a, a safe Bruce, really good cigar. I totally believe that are not bad cigars, that are cigar for every palate. So we are really proud of all the products that we have right now in the market as the in the line of K by Karenberger, Habana, Maduro, Conerico, and our new addition, the Cameroon. So they are amazing. They are rating for, for different cigar magazines with the highest point uh, as well with, with Don Kiki Line. So if you had the opportunity to try our product, we really appreciate all the help and support. Thank you. And you can uh, find me, Bruce Bush, on, um, on Facebook or Instagram. You can find Karen Berger on Facebook and Instagram. And you can message us whenever you want. When all else fails, you can call. You can just Google Don Kiki Superstore in Daytona Beach. And you can get Chip or Alan or Pat or one of the good guys that work there on the line. And if you want our cigars in your store, they'll pass the message to Karen. Karen will pass it to me. And we'll start making it happen. So if you want your, our cigars in your store, which I highly recommend, Please uh, shoot us a line. We're easy to find. Well, we will do that. Uh, the place uh, we have one of the owners on the place uh, of the place right here now, so we'll uh, get in touch with you guys and order some stuff as well. So, uh, really glad to have you guys. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been great having you, and it's been yeah. great having you as well, Bruce. Our pleasure. Thank you so much, guy. And we're going to move to our sports conversation now, and Bruce Bush is going to hang on with us because he seems to be a bit of a sports junkie. So we're going to get to him now. So Phil and Bruce, um, let's talk some sports and we're going to be a little bit less focused than we usually are tonight. We're going to stumble across a variety of issues. And first of all, I mean, we really have no choice, but I think to at least touch on the Olympics. And the one thing that I wanted to bring up is so through the first four nights of the Olympics, NBC is on track for the lowest rated winter games in history. Friday night's coverage on NBC USA and Peacock averaged 12.8 million viewers down from 27.8 million viewers four years ago. And if you remember, they were complaining about the ratings four years ago. So I just to throw out to you guys, because I don't, first of all, I don't watch the Winter Olympics. I don't think I do. I don't really remember watching it much before anyway. I've watched basically nothing except a little bit of the opening ceremonies the other night. Why do you think that the ratings suck so much more now than they ever have? Well, I think, um, you know, the whole Olympic problem, summer and winter, 
originally starts from the IOC putting insane demands on cities to try and nail their city as being the next host of the Olympics, right? So they charge you like, you know, X amount of billion dollars for a bid, and then that bid doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. So it's very hard to make to the finish line, right? And, uh, and anymore, it seems like only kind of, I don't want to say rogue countries, but countries that are, you know, maybe somewhat a bit unsavory are the ones that are nailing the Olympics because they're going all out for it. The United States has got so much industry that, yeah, we have an L.A. Olympics coming up and all that, but I don't really think we're going to sell the farm to get the Olympics here or in Germany or in France or in England going forward because, like, you know, these countries have a lot going on besides the Olympics. So China, without the Olympics right now, what, what else are we watching from China? Nothing, you know, or Russia or Korea or, or a lot of these countries that seem to be bagging the Olympics out. So it starts there. Uh, with the Winter Olympics, of course, COVID's hurting it because, like, certain athletes aren't there, fans aren't there, whatnot. And if you've watched the ski jump in the Winter Olympics right now, they're doing it right alongside a nuclear power plant. Did anyone see that? No. The I ski not. jump. I did see that. The ski jump is next to a nuclear power plant. They've got Beijing 2022 painted on the side of a nuclear water tower. So it's kind of like an eyesore also. So... I think there's many contributing factors to it, you know? Hey, won't nuclear help us be energy independent? Hey, I have another question, too. Does it have any – just kidding. Does it have anything to do with the fact that we, the United States, apparently suck? Because as of now, I'm looking at the medal count here right now. We are in 17th place with zero golds, four uh, silvers and one bronze, and we are behind prestigious uh, countries such as New Zealand, uh, the ROC, which I guess is Russia. Now that I think about it, uh, Switzerland. I mean, like Phil, what do you think about this? Why are the ratings down? And do you think it has anything to do with the fact that we suck? Well, yeah, we certainly didn't um, promote many uh, star athletes before these Olympics. Uh, they talked about us, you know, a couple of skiers. You know, other than that, they didn't do a lot. I don't think they did a really good job promoting as they have in past Olympics, previous to Olympics. I think that's a great um, point. You know, yeah, they, 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 the NBC tried to say something about, you know, at least the Olympics are still beating all other networks, uh, TV shows uh, while the Olympics are on. But, you know, I don't know if that's something to brag about or something to say that that shows you how bad network TV is. And, and that goes to my point that I think uh, as these years move on, there is more and more and more avenues for people to have their entertainment uh, on television, uh, on their downtime, whether it's sports, whether it's on their computers. And I certainly think that plays a big role in the amount of people that are watching strictly the Olympics. He's absolutely right. You know, I mean, they advertise the Olympics during the week on their on their network shows. Who's watching those, man? I haven't watched an NBC, CBS, or ABC show in Dude, I, I, I can't even tell you how many years. Agree. I mean, I only I mean, I watch, watch streaming shows, and I watch tons of shows, but all streaming stuff. That's correct. And and we all just have too many options to, you know, watch other avenues. But once again, NBC then has no way to advertise this except on their networks, and I think their viewing, it shows it is way down. You know, and I certainly think there's a bit of a political uh, bend to this year uh, more than a lot of other years. Uh, you know, they talk about, you know, they go on about the genocide and the slave camps and different things like that. I think it certainly does affect some people. Um, but I think maybe just, you know, these Olympic sports and the star athletes, they haven't promoted them or they're just not there, especially, like you said, for the U.S. I looked it up also, Steve. 
you know, no gold medals. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I do think your point was a really good one, Phil, about promoting the stars. And that has long been a sports strategy. And as we're going to talk about baseball for a minute next, but that's always been one of the things that baseball is heavily criticized for. They do not promote the stars well enough where the NFL and particularly the NBA does an unbelievable job of promoting their stars. And you just tend to focus on that. And you could literally ask, you know, any casual sports sports fan who are, you know, five primary guys in the NBA and people know those names. They see those names on, you know, on TV. So yeah, I, I don't know a friggin' person um, that's been involved in this Olympics. So let's um, pivot to, uh, to baseball for one second. Yes. We're going to have our weekly cigars and sports baseball update. So Phil, we were talking about this last week and sort of the summary of what the owners and the players want in order to resolve the lockout. And a couple of days ago, Max Scherzer had a really good quote that I think very succinctly does an excellent job of explaining what the players are looking for. And I'm going to read that now and get your thoughts on that. Said Scherzer, We want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allow younger players to realize more of their market value sooner, make service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminate tanking as a way of winning in the long term. And yeah, I got to be honest with you, those things all make a hell of a lot of sense. I'm not sure who would really argue with those things. That's pretty good messaging. What is your take on that? And what's your take on this lockout and how the hell we get out of it? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how we're going to get out of it. I mean, it's, you know, I'll give you something. You know, you want to get an idea of how far apart these, these guys are. You know, one of the things that, you know, the players want, you know, one of their wants is a $100 million bonus pool for pre-arbitration, you know, which is just basically more money for younger players. You know, all, the owners are offering $10 million, which was up $5 million. I mean, you know, that's so far apart on that one particular issue. Yeah, they're going to have a hard time. I mean, the, the owners wanted to bring in uh, federal mediation. Players instantly rejected it. Uh, they didn't want a third party involved. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that they're arguing about makes little sense, or I can't even wrap my brain around some of it sometimes. Uh, I think they're a long way away. I'm very fearful you might not see a season at all, to be honest with you. Well, I don't know if it's going to go that far, but I am definitely not optimistic about it being soon. They've only met in person four times. The lockout has been going on since December 1st, and they've only met four times. So they better get it figured out. And, you know, they're going to be in this lull period after the Super Bowl where people actually may pay attention to baseball. And we're going to have this late free agent season as well where you have half of the big name free agents who have not signed yet. And they're all going to sign over the period of about a week and a half when the lockout ends. So these guys get to get off their ass and, and resolve this thing because it's absolutely ridiculous. And the thing that worries me the most is if you look at when they negotiated the shortened pandemic season in 2020, it took them a month and a half to figure that out. And frankly, it was a no-brainer figuring that out. And it was a one-year deal for 60 games, and they couldn't figure it out. So they got to figure this thing out. But I just thought that quote from Scherzer um, was, uh, you know, was really, really interesting. So, all right. It's- don't forget the last strike 
that angered the fans tremendously. It took baseball uh, turning a blind eye to steroids to bring the fans back, which is a sad fact to look at. But it, it took the Sosa and McGuire home run derby to try to bring fans back. But it took a long time to get the bitterness out of the fans after the last big strike. Hey, if I can chime in real quick, one more yeah. thing about, about this is that, you know, I'm a big football fan, right? And um, I think baseball's okay. And I know seam heads, especially, like, you know, in Chicago, you guys at the Cubbies, you're not so crazy about the White Sox as much uh, as the Cubbies, no, I get. No, we're interrupting you right now. We are both uh, world champion Chicago White Sox fans. That, 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 that's cool. But, I, and I, you know, besides, outside of the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Dodgers, Giants, and a couple other teams, it's just not that popular, you know? So these guys go on strike in the middle of the road, fam. I'm a Rays fan, right? But the middle of the road fan like us, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, you know what? Stay on strike, man. I mean, uh, it, it, you're going to complain about playing a sport you played all your life. A lot of those guys, everyone went to college and went right to the minor leagues, and you, you've led this blessed existence, and you're going to strike. For guys like me, I really don't care. They can stay on strike forever. As and far you, know, as I'm you bring up a really good point, Bruce, because they're not striking. It's a lockout. But here's my point that you just made really well. You don't really give a shit if they're striking or if it's a lockout or whatever. As far as you know, it's just a bunch of millionaires and billionaires fighting with each other where, you know, we want to see a game and we can't see it. So I think you bring up a really good point because people don't even know who to side with because you, when you think of them not working, you think of a strike. Let's go to the NFL. Um, first of all, what is, we have a, we have a connection here because as we mentioned, Bruce is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, everyone knows that uh, Phil and I are uh, bears people as most of you listening are. So Lovey Smith today signed his contract, the new coach, of the Houston Texans, which I find to be incredibly interesting. And by the way, I know that uh, Phil, being the uh, the cranky old man that you are, you're a Lovey hater. Lovey, when he was here, was 16 games over 500, made the playoffs three times, went to a Super Bowl. So I have no problem with Lovey. I realize he failed in Tampa Bay. He was absolutely horrendous at, at Illinois. He was not a good recruiter and was not cut out for college. But you know what? I'm happy for Lovey. I'm, I'm glad he's getting an opportunity. I've always liked the guy. Um, what's your take, first of all, on Lovey, Bruce? Um, well, you know, when he goes to the Texans, one thing he will bring is a strategic format to organizing the team. He's a very logical guy, but I don't think he really does anything to, to, to push the envelope a little bit. I mean, he doesn't – when he was in Tampa, I mean, God, the play calling was terrible. The defensive schemes, which is supposed to be his wheelhouse, were terrible. He was terrible at picking defensive talent. I mean, I think what he had going on with the Bears was lightning in a bottle, and I don't think he's been able to reproduce it since. So I don't really get the hire. I mean, Lovey's a nice guy and all that. He's part of the Tony Dungy uh, coaching tree, which, of course, down in Tampa, we're big fans of Tony Dungy. So, I mean, we, we love him for that. But, I mean, he hasn't been successful as like some other guys like Mike Tomlin or whatever who have come out of that tree. So I don't really get the hire. I mean, there's a lot of other guys that I think would be a better uh, a better breath of fresh air to, to, to run that team than, than Lovey. So kudos to him. But as a Texans fan, if you're sitting there and you're watching the TV and you saw it come across that Lovey got hired, you're like, really? That guy here? For a team that's already in shambles, a team with no clue. I mean, he'll bring some organization to the, to the franchise, but I don't know that he'll really uh, move the needle that much. Yeah, Phil, what's your, what's your take? Well, you know, I agree with Bruce in a sense. Uh, Lovey Smith seems like a, you know, a great guy. Uh, I mean, we saw him a lot here in Chicago. 
But, uh, you know, I agree with Bruce. He had uh, he had maybe two good, you might call good years in the NFL. He's been a head coach for 11 seasons. He's got about a 504 winning percentage, which is average. Uh, you know, if you just take the 16-game seasons, you keep going winning eight games every season, uh, you're not even going to make the playoffs that often. But that's uh, but not he, what he did. He was he was 16 games over 500 as the Bears coach. And I'm not looking at his coaching record, but and obviously you are. So tell me if I'm wrong. But from my recollection in Tampa Bay, and this is a little bit frightening that I remember this, I believe he was two and fourteen the first season and six and ten the second. So it wasn't right. a matter of him winning eight games. He averaged winning, I think. Almost ten games, you know, ten games a season here. Um, he, I mean, and by the way, he got fired after a ten and six season. So you know, he, but he sucked in Tampa Bay, and then there was that whole issue. Dirk Cutter was his offensive coordinator, and somehow backstabbed him with with Jason Light, and then he became the head coach. But I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I gotta tell you, I gotta give you kudos for this. Is uh, you know, since you're the head of the Lovey Smith fan club, you did make a really funny comment uh, that really put it to the point about. Uh, uh, you know, Lovey Smith was one win away of having as many Super Bowls as Ditka. Um, so, you no know, when you look at it in that aspect, Steve, I got to give it to you. I mean, it's yeah, true. You know, one more thing about Lovey Smith and Tampa with Dan Trogus nuts was after he would lose, he would do a press conference and he would say, we have to play better. The offense has to be better. The de- That's all he would ever say. Now, it's kind of like a Bill Belichick approach towards, towards uh, the press conference, I guess, right? But, Belichick was getting UWs and saying that you can you can speak Russian after a W. No one gives a rat's butt, you know. But when you're losing and you get on camera and our Bucks fans are like this and you're like we got to play better, man, that was that drove was crazy. And the Texans fans are about to experience that. Yeah. So when Lovey was here, and you Bears fans will remember this very well, he had a famous saying, which was. Rex is our quarterback. So Rex Grossman, who was the quarterback for the majority of the tenure that he was here, um, including the year that he went to the Super Bowl, was constantly getting bashed. Um, yes, Rex Grossman from the University of Florida, who you may remember, who, by the way, was a was a decent quarterback, had a really good arm, but threw a lot of picks. Actually, very similar to James Winston. Not that we're trying to go into uh, you know into Tampa Bay uh, you know sports True. history here, but. Every game he would get asked is, you know, is he going to, you know, is Rex still going to start next week? And he would just simply stand there and go, Rex is our quarterback. And then they'd ask the next question. He'd be like, yes, Rex is our quarterback. So, yeah, right. pretty pretty funny stuff. All right. So, um, Phil, maybe you can give us an update um, on your friend uh, Alvin Kamara. Have you spoken to him today? What did he do? Maybe give us a little update you on know, him. I think Alvin, uh, as we speak, I think only gets one phone call. And it wasn't to me. Um you know, report out of you know Las Vegas is this knucklehead after the Pro Bowl got in an argument with somebody. No, before know, it was at six a.m. Six a.m. Right. the morning of the Pro Bowl of the game. York, you've corrected me there. You're correct. And uh, you know, got in an argument with some knucklehead once again at six a.m. and apparently beat the shit out of the guy. And then. His uh, cronies or hanger-ons that were with him uh, decided once the guy was down to get their licks into. And it sounds very sad, uh, very pathetic. And, you know, in the seriousness of it all, um, the NFL in particular uh, 
certainly has an issue with some of this that doesn't seem to be getting any better yet. These incidents just keep cropping up. Um, you know, it's it's odd how they crop up in Vegas a lot. I still wonder what a great idea, if it was a great idea, putting an NFL team in Vegas. Um, you know, you got a lot of young athletes with a lot of money that they're most, if not all, were never used to having in their lives. And uh, give them an opportunity in a city like that to act cool. Um, it doesn't seem to be any shortage of them. Yeah, if you look at... You know, I won't say that Vegas is necessarily the problem. These knuckleheads do it everywhere. You know, an NFL player, they've always been rewarded their whole life for being violent. Okay, just, I mean, I'm not cutting them a break. Not at all. But they're in there, they're slapping helmets, they're, they're being aggressive, they're fighting, they're punching, they're kicking, they're whatever, to get their job done, you know? So they go on to everyday life, and that's how they solve problems a lot of times, you know, unfortunately. And I don't necessarily think it's Vegas. I mean... Same shit happens in, like, Green Bay, you know, I mean, it, it, which is a town that where, where nothing's going on except for the Packers, you know, I mean, so... It, it, I disagree. I don't see that happening in Green Bay. Uh, if you take a look at the issues that have happened in Vegas this year, I do think it's an issue. You know, remember the guy, um, you know, who had the uh, the high speed DUI and killed? Yeah, Henry Rhodes killed the woman, and there was the other first round pick. I actually think that Vegas is a distraction. I'm not. I'm not blaming the city, but I do think you know you get a guy who's worked his ass off playing football his entire life. You know, he gets to the NFL, gets a signing bonus. And then he's in Las Vegas, and you know what? There is some time to go out, and I do think that there's more opportunity to get in trouble there. And maybe some of those guys have not do not have fully developed judgment as adults yet, and you know they've got some money that they never had before. And I do think that there's more of a risk. And ironically, Joe Burrow said that this week. He said that they asked him about being in Cincinnati, and he said one of the things he likes about being in Cincinnati is that there's nothing to do, so it's a lot easier to focus on football and to get his guys to focus on football, which I thought was a really interesting point. Meanwhile, meanwhile, about eight years ago, you couldn't keep the Bengals out of jail. Oh, that was, but if you remember, that's actually a great point. Yeah, Pac-Man Jones, yeah, I remember. That's actually a great well, point. But, one of those guys, but yeah. if you remember, I, I haven't thought about that in a while, but if you remember, they actually used to go and draft and acquire those guys. Like they were into those second chance guys um, who, oh, yeah, who, yeah. who generally after they drafted them needed a third chance. But yeah, that's a very good call by you. So let's talk about the Super Bowl for a minute. Um, Rams. Minus four. I have already made a, a large wager just, uh, you know, from a side standpoint. I haven't done anything with the props and we can talk about some of these props in a minute. And by the way, um, Bruce, one thing we have going for us, maybe not the weather, but we do live in a uh, legal uh, sports gambling state. So it's great. You can sit there with your phone, gamble on everything that's going on at every minute. So Rams minus four. The numbers start at three and a half, went up to four and a half. Um, some more Cincinnati money has come in. Um, I am going with the Bengals, and I'll break it down a little bit for you, um, but what do you guys think? And I think one thing that was interesting too, um, and I'm not really big into these trends because I'm not sure how much they mean, but the last 12 favorites who have won the Super Bowl covered the spread, which I think is interesting, which probably indicates that they weren't very good games when the favorite wins necessarily either, but uh, what do you guys think of the game? Phil, what's your take on this game from a side yeah, standpoint? I I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to touch it uh, as far as and the gambling end goes. I, I think it's going to be one of the better Super Bowls we've seen in a while or competitive, let's put it that way. 
Um, I think it's going to be a uh, more of a TD-orientated scoring game. Um, so I think you're going to see some points put up, uh, even though some may say, uh, you know, L.A.'s got the great defense. Uh, I still think uh, these quarterbacks are going to uh, light it up more than a normal Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a pretty good contest. Matter of fact, if looking at a prop bet, I think that's one of the better ones, and it's uh, 7.5 uh, for an over in the first quarter scoring, 7.5 points in the first quarter. I think uh, going on the over on that would be a Which- uh, lockdown. Well, I think the I think the best prop is going under a minute and thirty five seconds on the national anthem. I got that one too. Um, <laughs> so, what do you, uh, Bruce? What do you think of the game? And you know, Phil, you mentioned real quick the before we go to Bruce, you mentioned the. Um, the Rams defense. And I think the key there is, I don't know that the Rams defense is that great, but I do know that the Rams pass rush in particular is phenomenal. And, you know, Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL this year. And obviously we all remember a couple of weeks ago when he wins getting sacked nine times. And I think that may be the key to the game, but Bruce, what's your take on the game overall? Well, you touched on exactly what I was going to touch on because when uh, the Rams played the Bucks um, in the Eagles game before that, we lost Tristan Wirfs, and we lost another offensive line. So we were down two offensive linemen against the Rams. And I think that had we had those guys, the Bucks would be in the Super Bowl right now. But not, not having them was costly, and it took forever for the Bucks to catch up. So going to the Bengals, me and my friends were watching the Bengals throughout the playoffs. We said they're an offensive line away from being a Super Bowl champion, right? And they might prove me wrong. That they might be the, the team that wins, but... I don't think that offensive line is going to be, hold, be able to hold up against Von Miller and Aaron Donald, man. I just really don't. And I think they're going to get to Burrow and Burrow's luck. And I want I, I kind of pull for the Bengals a little bit, but I think their luck's going to run out a little bit because the Rams' pass rush is legit. You know, I mean, it's got the best very player in the NFL on it, you know, and it's going to be very hard to keep them away from Joe Burrow. And you didn't even mention Leonard Floyd, who is a pass right. rusher if you need it or can drop into coverage. He's a very versatile guy um, and is, you know, is really, really good. But I agree. And I'll tell you, you know, the Rams obviously just simply gave away the farm as far as draft capital. I mean, giving up a second and a third in next year's draft for Von Miller was a hell of a lot, but you can't regret it because at the time that they made that deal, basically trading for Von Miller for six games in the playoffs, there's nothing that they could have hoped that they were going to get that they have not gotten. I mean, that guy is in the backfield on every down. And, sure. you know, if you consider the fact that he is working with Aaron Donald, and I just think that Aaron Donald is going to be a beast in this game. But here's one key that I think is really, really interesting. You look at the quarterback situation, and to me – it's maybe not what you think it is. And, you know, Phil, I think I mentioned this to you yesterday. So I do believe that Stafford is good. So I'm not dissing Stafford. Obviously, the guy had a lot of, um, you know, kind of empty calories, yards, and touchdowns in Detroit over the years. I get that. The guy's had a good year. He had a period of, you know, he had, did have a period during the season where he threw a lot of picks. You know, he's won these three playoff games. He, he, they were able to hold on to that game against Tampa Bay after they almost screwed it up there, you know, at the end of the game. But, If you look at Matt Stafford versus Burrow, frankly, 
I like Burrow because he's the guy with the experience on the big stage. You know, if you take a look at that guy, he won a state championship in high school in both football and basketball. He won a national championship at LSU. He won an SEC championship. He's been in the college football playoffs. As far as I'm concerned, that is the big stage and that makes a really big difference. And, you know, Stafford does not have experience on the big stage. And I think that really matters. I mean, this guy knows what to expect. What's your take on that, Phil? I, I hear you, but I, I, I'm not flying with it. I think Stafford's going to be ready for this game. I think he's been waiting for this. He's worked for this in his career. He got traded to the right team at the right time. Agree. Um, and once again, I just think it's going to be a fantastic football game. I mean, uh, you know, the over and under for Stafford on passing yards, I think, is 280 for this game. Uh, you know, if they're throwing, they're putting that out there. Uh, you know, to do that against, uh, you know, Cincinnati at this point, I think they're, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I, I kind of agree with you. Matt Stafford has meltdowns in big games, right? And he hasn't through the playoffs yet, you know? So I think that's an interesting factor. I mean, because if you watch that guy when he played for Detroit, if they played at 1 o'clock, he'd kill it for two weeks in a row. Then they'd have a primetime game, and he would he would fall apart, you know? So he's got a meltdown in him somewhere, and it could it could show up in this game. It really could. And I'm not saying that he's going to melt down, and it's a really strange thing to say because, you know, you got Burrow, who's you know, 23, and then Stafford, who's 10 years older than him. And, and, and really, Burrow is the guy with the experience in these situations. And he is just a, that guy is just a cool guy, man. I mean, I love that guy. If that guy wins the Super Bowl, if that guy wins the Super Bowl, get ready because you ain't going to be seeing any more Baker Mayfield on State Farm commercials. You're not going to be seeing anybody next year. The only guy you're going to be seeing during every commercial is going to be Joe Burrow. And I don't think there's any doubt about it. Win or lose. Win or lose. Uh, I, you know, Joe, you know, his secret weapon is Joe Mixon. And if Joe Mixon goes off, uh, it all it's going to do is open up the passing lanes for Burrow. So, uh, you know, watch Joe Mixon. He's going to be the guy. If he get, if he starts popping um, and they got to concentrate on him, it's going to open up things for Burrow. Yeah, well, the, you know, the fact that Cincinnati beat the Chiefs twice in five weeks, and if you take a look at the capabilities of uh, of Jamar Chase and just how good he was in that first game at the, you know, week 17 um, against the Chiefs, that guy's unbelievable. And it's amazing because they decided they were going to not get beat by him last week. And T. Higgins stepped up and had a phenomenal game last week as well. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a fairly interesting game, and I am very excited for it. So, Phil, I don't think we have time for the Bulls tonight. It's been a bad, uh, bad couple of last couple of games. Not a good look versus the Suns last night. We just gotta gotta get our guys back. We're uh, two days away from the trading deadline, but we'll get to that next week when obviously we recap the Super Bowl and we are coming to the conclusion of episode eleven, Cigars and Sports Chicago. Thanks so much for uh, for being on, you guys. Thank you again, Bruce. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Hey, Bruce. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah, no doubt about it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. We'll get some cigars from you. 
Yeah, so uh, in a, you know it was great having uh, having Bruce and uh, and Karen on from Don Kiki Cigars and K by Karen. Look them up once again on social media, and you will find them. And that's it. That is a wrap for episode eleven of Cigars and Sports Chicago. We'll talk to you next week. Obviously, we'll be recapping the Super Bowl. We will talk about the Bulls, and hopefully, we will have an end to the baseball lockout. Except you all know that we won't. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our producer Bear. Talk to you next week. That's all in here, I don't care. So my baby down by the river, who should have to come up soon for there? Sweet blossom, come on, under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature, growing in the rushes down by the riverside.